Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. So this morning, as you grab your seat, grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We are turning the corner. We're coming into the home stretch here on 1 Timothy. As we get down toward the end in this last chapter, just about two or three messages left in this book as we've continued to talk about church health all throughout this series. You guys ever walk into a room and wonder, what's that smell? What's that smell? If you've got a teenager, you better believe you've done that, right? <laughs> now, of course, you never say it like that. You never say, what's that smell? You never say it like that. No, no, no. Your facial expressions, your emotions, they depend on whether, you, whether what you've just encountered and experienced is good or bad, right? That bad smell, if it's that bad smell, it's like, what's that smell? I mean, your nose is all crinkled up. Your face is frowning and grimacing. I mean, your body's like reeling backwards, right? There, there's, a, there's a response. And if it's a good smell, oh, What's that smell, man? Like when you're walking in and the wife has just cooked up a big old apple pie or whatever it is that's your favorite, right? There are smells that that draw us in. We want more of it. It's so attractive. But then there are things that smell bad. We all know, right? They repel us. It's offensive. It's, It's nasty. We don't want to get away from it or we want to find it and get rid of it. Our 1998 S10, for instance. <laughs> I still remember Chrissy was heading to college one day and she spilled a, 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 a big old cup of milk in there. And, and she was heading to Western and she didn't have time to clean it up. She didn't have time to clean it up. And so you can just imagine as it sat there in the sun all day and baked. And man, when you opened that door, it about knocked you down. And it smelled like that for years. We treated it. We tried to get rid of it. So you know what it is to have a bad smell. Well, You need to understand this morning that your life has an aroma as well. Now, I ain't talking about your body, right? (laughs) Hopefully, we don't have to come here to to convince you to wear deodorant this morning, all right? So I'm not talking about your body. I'm, I'm talking about your life. The way you live either attracts people to Christianity or it repels people from Christianity. And in today's text, God, through Apostle Paul here, he speaks into a particular area of our lives where this scenario manifests itself. So I want to invite you this morning to stand to honor the reading of the Word of God this morning. Just two verses. But these verses are very important for you and me missionally, and we're going to find out here in a moment why. So here's what the Word of God says. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says, Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So that the name of God and teaching and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they're brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Let's pray together. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to a text here. That certainly, um, just right offhand, is really easy for us to understand, although we we see some complexity there that makes us uncomfortable. And so we'll address that in just a moment. But Father, above all, above all, God, we need to see our lives as aromas in the world around us. And Father, what odor 
are we putting off? And so, God, I pray that through this text you would adjust us that we might be attractive and not repulsive. Father, I want to pray for the person this morning who's never turned and trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God. I pray right now that you would just even call to their mind all the ways, Lord, that they have fallen short, that you would give them a vision of the danger that they walk in right now, that death is just around the corner, and that at any moment they could fall into hell, Lord. I pray that even right now, as we think about this text, God, that we would want to honor you with our lives. And so I pray for that person who's never turned and trusted Jesus. I pray that even now, God, that you would call them to Christ and they would be saved, God. That they would call on you to save them. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen. That is our heart's desire, that all would come to know the Lord Jesus. But you might be thinking as you read this, now, what up, preacher? Now, I didn't read anything in that passage about a smell. <laughs> well, yeah, the word aroma or, or the word smell is not in this passage, but in a sense, it's right there at the end of verse one. So look at the end of verse one with me, that's so that clause, right? This is the because clause. This is the, the reason. Why did Paul just say what he said? And here it is. It's in this so that, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. In other, words, in other words, the way you live out your Christianity can repel people from Christianity just like a bad odor, right? You, you, can, you can live uh, in a way that causes people around you to say, man, these people stink. These Christians reek. And they're God. Here, here's the step, right? Here's the so that. And they're God and they're teaching must stink as well. Get this Christianity away from me. So the way that we live is a reflection on our God and on Christianity itself. So as we continue on our series in church health, as we walk through 1 Timothy here, healthy churches are made up of people who understand this. So here's today's truth. A healthy church is filled with Christians whose lives don't repel people from Christianity, right? So a healthy church is filled with Christians whose lives don't repel people from Christianity. Now, we could come up with an entire list, couldn't we, of ways that Christians typically repel people. You go out here in the world, you could, you could go down to, to Western's campus, or you could go here, um, you could go down here at the Greenwood Mall. I mean, you could go to different places in Bowling. You could take a survey, what is it that you don't like about Christians? And there's going to be a big list. We're often seen as judgy. We're often seen as petty, hypocritical, elitist, exclusionary, unloving. And let's be honest this morning. We can be all of those things. We certainly can. We certainly can. But again, if we're going to be real, oftentimes... The world says these things about uh, the world says these things about us, but but God wouldn't say these things about us, right? Oftentimes we're just following God and His teaching, which which the world despises, right? Oftentimes that's the case, right? We don't stink to God, oftentimes, but we stink to the world. But nevertheless, we're being real this morning. There are times that we stink to the world and we stink to God, and so. Paul here leans into our attitudes here, attitudes that can stink. 
Specifically here, Paul's talking about how, how slaves should treat their masters, which is really surprising to our modern ears, right? We expect him to address the masters, right? The fact that they own slaves. I mean, shouldn't that be the issue? We know from American history how, how brutal slavery was. I mean, shouldn't he be addressing the masters here? Shouldn't he be calling for the overthrow of the institution of slavery itself? And that's a valid question, right? As we do the life of Christian apologetics, these are things that people say is a problem with Christianity. But let me give you two reasons here why Paul, and Jesus for that matter, doesn't call for the abolition of slavery. And here's the first reason. It's a missional reason. It's a missional reason. That's the very reason that we just read at the end of 1 Timothy 6.1. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So while freeing people from slavery would be good, basically what, what we see here in the Bible is that freeing people from hell would be better. Now, I know, I understand, again, in our American context, we often think of, of slavery in a race-based thing, but as we look at history, Every race has been enslaved at some point in history, all right? So every race, so to speak, and again, I don't even like the, the idea of race, right, as far as that goes. We're all, there, there's only one race, there's only one human race, but nevertheless, the way the world talks about these things, all right? Every, every, every ethnicity, every culture has experienced these things. And Paul is saying here that it's better, it's better to be a saved slave than a lost Freeman. Therefore, Paul wants to be careful to protect the spread of Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. I mean, again, we're talking real here, right? Slavery was, was deeply embedded in the structures of Roman society. Uh, we're not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right. God's not saying it's right, but it is what it was. It's believed that there were like 50 million slaves in the empire, including one third of the city of Ephesus here, where Paul's writing, where, where, where Timothy's the pastor here. That's like 80,000 slaves in the city of Ephesus. So to, to dismantle slavery all at once, it, it would have brought about the collapse of society. Therefore, the governmental powers guarded it very closely, right? They, they, they put down any call for the abolition of slavery, any, any slave revolt, they put it down with ruthless brutality. And Paul knew that the call for the abolition of slavery would have greatly curtailed the spread of of Christianity. Again, freedom from sin is a much greater need than freedom from slavery. And Paul knew that as the gospel worked in through the culture, that slavery itself would be eroded. And we've seen that time and time again throughout history, right? So he was aiming at the larger picture here, the bigger picture of the spread of the kingdom. But the second reason that Paul doesn't call for the abolition of slavery is a contextual reason, right? We have to be careful not to import our American uh, context of slavery into to the first century Rome context, all right? So slavery there and then, it, it, was, it was a quite different experience from what we know from our American history. Slaves under Roman law, they, they were regularly given the social status of their masters. Uh, to the outward appearance, it was usually impossible to distinguish between slave and free person. So it wasn't based on the color of your skin, and they weren't just all laborers. Some were very educated, doctors, teachers. Some were astute salesmen, even something like a CEO of businesses. 
Now, don't hear me say that it was a cakewalk. It wasn't, right? It wasn't awesome. You were still considered property to be bought and sold. There are instances of great abuse, but the Roman system in Paul's day was far more humane, far more civilized than slavery was in America. And many, many slaves, maybe even the majority of the slaves in Rome, they were not what we would call outright slaves. They were actually bond servants. That's why the Greek word here that, that, we, that we see translated here in our text as bond servants, as it is here in verse 1, all those who are under a yoke of bond servants, it's the Greek word douloi, and that's why it's, it's typically translated as slaves, but here in our text it's translated as bond servants. And so a bond servant is kind of like an indentured servant. Yes, they were slaves, but they were more like voluntary slaves. They weren't forced into slavery by being kidnapped or, or conquered. They, were, they, they sold themselves into slavery, basically. Okay, So, so they did it some to, to acquire Roman citizenship. Others did it to pay a debt. All right, So it was the situation that forced them into slavery. It, it wasn't race-based. It was more economic-based. And so bond servants were basically under the contract of their Master. So as you think about this, as we try to bridge the gap from first century to 21st century, 2,000 years later, there really is a parallel here as we look at this text between slaves, masters, bond servants, masters, and employees and employers. All right. So, so the context here, the principles that we see here in our text, they, they, apply more, they apply more broadly than to just people who were slaves. They apply to anybody who has a boss, anybody who has a leader over them. And so you need to understand this morning, the way you treat that boss or that leader either attracts people to Christianity or repels people from Christianity. All right. So here's today's truth. Again, we've already seen it, but a healthy church is filled with Christians whose lives don't repel people from Christianity. In our text, we have three principles that will not repel people from Christianity when we are a follower and not the leader. All right. How do, we, how do we act as a follower? How do we show the leader proper attitude? And the first to not repel people from Christianity is to simply be respectful. Right? As a Christian, you should excel. Like, like that should be one of the things that you're best at. You should excel in showing respect to those who are in leadership over you. Whether or not they are your quote-unquote boss, okay? If they have leadership over you, you are to show them respect. Look again here at 1 Timothy 6.1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. Worthy of all honor. Or you could say worthy of all respect. Why are they worthy of respect? Well, the first reason is that they are a human being. And every single human being is worthy of respect. They're full of dignity. They're full of honor. They're full of value. They're full of virtue. And the very fact that they are a human being, they, as a baseline, deserve respect from us. But second, and this is really important here, they're worthy of respect because God has placed them over you. I wonder this morning, do you believe that the Bible teaches the sovereign providence of God? In other words, do you believe that the Bible teaches that, that you are not where you are by chance, but by the hand 
of God. You should believe that because I'm convinced that's what the Bible teaches, right? There's no such thing according to Scripture as chance or coincidence. There's no such thing as luck. Scripture says in Ephesians 1.11 that God is a God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So what that means is that God is in control. And we don't always know why he does what he does or how he orders history in the way he does or why he places us where he places us. But you can know this. You're not there by chance. It's not a coincidence. You've been placed there by God. And when you respect your leader, you respect God. Third, they're worthy respect because you would want respect if the tables were turned. Right? Put yourself in their shoes. Right? If you were the one who were the leader and not the follower, wouldn't you want that follower to show, to show you respect? I mean, this is a, a basic Bible principle that Jesus taught us. We know it as the golden rule, don't we? Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, most of us know this better as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You're to give that man or that woman respect, right? Because that's what you would want given to you. But oftentimes we run into problems because when we look at the person who's been placed over us in that leadership position, whatever it may be, whether it be at work or in the school or in the home or in the church, they're not respectable in our eyes. I mean, they don't love God maybe, or they don't do what you think should be done. They fall short some way in skill or decision-making or even in character. So let me ask you this. Look, look back at the text here, verse 1. Do you see in this text any qualifications whatsoever that get you out of showing respect to those who have put, been put over you? I, I don't see any here, right? You're to respect them simply because of the position that they're in. We've been, if you've been reading through the Old Testament with us in our Facebook, uh, read through the Bible uh, Facebook group, uh, we've had a really good illustration of this over the past several weeks uh, as we've been going through 1 Samuel, all right? Now, the, the, the book of 1 Samuel tells the story of how Israel decided they wanted a king, all right? And Samuel was, was charged by God to go ahead and, and give them what they wanted to anoint a king. And so Samuel was led by God to anoint Saul because that was the, the man that the people wanted. So, they, so God, uh, God made Saul king. But then Saul, as you go through the story, he's rejected as king, but he continued to serve for several years. But before his reign was over, David, King David as we know him, but little David, David and Goliath David, was anointed king, future king. And so right now, as you read through the story there, there are basically two kings. There's Saul, who is reigning as king, and David, who's been anointed by God to take his place. And it drives Saul crazy. Right? He can't stand David. The people like David more than him, and, and David has the favor of God on him and does these great things. And so Saul tries for years to kill David. 
And multiple times throughout the, the text there, throughout the narrative there, David has opportunities to kill Saul. And guess what? He doesn't take it. He doesn't take it. One time, Saul and David were in a cave. And, 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 and Saul had no idea that David was in the cave. And he came in there. Saul came in to use the bathroom. And David snuck up behind him. And instead of cutting his throat, he cut off the hem of his garment. So he could later show him, look, I have honored you. I could have taken your life, but I didn't. All right? And, and we ask ourselves, why in the world did, did David not kill Saul? And the answer is, he respected the position of king. He respected the position of king. Saul was not a respectable person. But he occupied a, a respectable office. We got to get that in our brains, guys. Again, uh, this, this, this has ramifications for all aspects of our life, even in the political realm, right? He was not a respectable man, but he occupied a respectable office. That's why King David did not kill Saul when he had the chance. In fact, when we come to the end of Saul's life, he was injured badly in a battle with the Philistines. And he eventually commits suicide so that he's not given into the hands of the Philistines. And when news gets back to David, you would expect him to go, Yeah! He's gone. I don't have to hide anymore. I can be king now. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. He didn't rejoice. Instead, he grieved. We read this in 2 Samuel 1, 11 through 12. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them. This is when news came back about Saul's death. Then David took hold of his clothes and he tore them. And, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son. And for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. He didn't rejoice. He grieved. And what's more, the man who brought David the news thought that he could earn favor with David. By lying and saying that he had been close to Saul in battle. And that when Saul was injured, Saul turned to this man and said, Will you please kill me? And, and, and this guy tells David, And by the king's request, I put him out of his misery. And again, the guy's thinking, David's going to love me for this. That I didn't let the king fall into pagan hands. But here's what David said. David respected the position of king so much. That we read this in 2 Samuel 1, 14 through 16. David said to him, how is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? In other words, why were you not afraid? Why were you, why, why were you not afraid to kill the king? Then David called one of the young men and said, go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, your blood be on your head. For your own mouth has testified against you, saying... I have killed the Lord's anointed. So guys, this is a, David's a really good example here of respecting people even when they are not respectable because they hold a position that you have been put under for this season. And it may not be forever, but you're called to respect that position. It doesn't matter who's in the position. 
You're to respect it. And so if you want to not repel people from Christianity, be respectable or be respectful. Excel in showing respect to those who are over you in whatever area of life you're talking about. Second, here in our text, to not repel people from Christianity, you simply work hard and with excellence. As you think about Christianity in general, it's synonymous with a strong work ethic, right? In history, we learned about the Protestant work ethic. Laziness is often talked against in Scripture. For instance, Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. In other words, those who are lazy get nothing, and those who work are loaded. <laughs> Maybe you put it that way, right? 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. And then finally, Proverbs 18, 9. We could go on and on. I mean, there are just hundreds of verses in Scripture, particularly in the Proverbs. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. And so as you think about one of the ways that you show respect to those that you're following, whether it be in the workplace or in the community, is that you work hard and you do it with excellence. You see, laziness is one of the biggest ways you disrespect those who are over you. It shows unthankfulness for the position. It shows disregard to coworkers because it puts a bigger burden on them. Just the other day, I was at Doug's Motor City there, and one of the one of the, the, the waitresses who was waiting on us, she said, I'm so sorry. I'm having to cover for somebody else on the other end of the restaurant because they hadn't shown up for work yet. It shows disregard for those who are around us, our coworkers. It puts a bigger burden on them, and it shows a lack of care for the customer. And so Christians should strive to work hard and with excellence, all right? Look at the second verse here, 1 Timothy 6.2, near our text. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they're brothers. Rather, and here's the part we want to focus on. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are, are believers and are beloved. All right. So we're going to get to this relational aspect here in just a moment. But right here, let's focus on the quality and the quantity of your work. Right. It's to be full. Right. It's to be full and it's to be excellent. You're to serve all the better. We don't want anybody to think, oh my gosh, those Christians are lazy. I mean, may it never be that someone in the community would say Christians are lazy. We don't want anybody to think bad about our God and about our faith. Therefore, the text here says that we're to give our best at all times. Because ultimately, y'all, we're not working for man, but for God. We're working for God. Colossians 3, 22 through 24 explicitly tell us this. And again, it's even in the context of slave and master here. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are, listen to this, serving the Lord Christ. God sees you. You're to work hard and excellent at all times as unto Jesus. You're not working for that boss, that leader. You're working for Jesus. That means sometimes you have to do jobs you'd rather not do. Can I get an amen? 
<laughs> listen, man, especially young folks in the room, right? I, I know, listen, I know when we come up, like we think that is beneath me. That is gross. I ain't doing that. And as you get older, you realize whatever, it's got to be done, right? I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mark of maturity. And I just want to encourage you young folks, like this is one of the areas that you particularly need to grow in. I remember my first job. It was down here at Kroger. Scottsville Road, where the, where the bowling alley is now. That was the old Kroger back in the day, all right? Uh, it was actually the new Kroger back in the day, but nevertheless, um, then there was another new Kroger. Anyway, Kroger's moved in, moved around a lot here in Bowling Green, okay? I could go through that story, not going to. But 16 and 17 years old, the summers of 1996 and 1997, and my job was to bag groceries, all right? Help ladies out to the car, right? Bring shopping carts back in. But oftentimes, guess what my supervisor would hand me? A mop and a bucket and a toilet brush. <laughs> she didn't even give me any gloves, man. You know, it's like, oh, oh my gosh, I gotta go find some gloves here, right? So I was regularly asked to clean the bathrooms. And again, we're not talking about your bathroom at the house. We're talking about the bathroom at the Kroger, right? Where, you know, you know, I mean, it's a public bathroom, man. Like, people don't care. They don't care what they do in there, all right? And so regularly, I was asked to clean the bathroom, and I would do it. And what I kept noticing is my other coworkers weren't asked to clean the bathroom. And so finally, I'm kind of watching this. I'm getting this, and I'm like, all right, I need to ask my supervisor, like, what's up? Why am I always like, do you hate me? What is it here? And here's what she told me. She said, I know that I can trust you to do a good job. And so that's why I got that, right? I wasn't a Christian in 1996, but I was in 1997. And so even in that, young folks is an example. You're going to be asked to do things that you think are gross, right? And you got to do them. And here's the cool thing. Listen to me, young folks. Did you know that you can clean public toilets to the glory of God? Can I get an amen? Amen. You can, you can, and you can. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That means, y'all, and this goes across the board, not just to young folks, but to all of us, whatever you do, do it to your fullest ability. And God will be glorified. Your excellence is not somebody else's excellence. Your excellence is your excellence. Do the best that you can to your fullest ability, your fullest capacity, and that honors and glorifies God. And that, when you do that, doesn't repel people from Christianity. Finally, as we look at the text here, to not repel people from Christianity, don't take advantage of relationships. Now, particularly we talk about in the workplace here. Apparently, that, that's sort of what was happening in Ephesus here. Christian slaves who had Christian masters, they decided that they no longer had to obey their masters or respect their masters. Look at verse 2 again. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and Beloved. And so those slaves there in Ephesus, remember, 80,000, a third of the city were slaves. And so these slaves, they were taking advantage of their relationship 
uh, in Christ with, these, with their masters. And Paul says, don't do that. In fact, don't do that because your master, your leader is a Christian. You should work all the harder for him, right? Not lesser, just because he's a Christian. You should work harder for him, not lesser, because you and I as sinners, here's the deal. Paul was seeing what is often the case. We as sinners, everyone of us, we're prone to take advantages of relationships, especially in the workplace, right? And so if, if, you're, if your leader, your, your boss, your supervisor is a Christian, and you guys know that you're Christians, like this is something that's known, but at least between the two of you, sometimes we expect extra things. Oh, he'll give me the promotion because I'm a Christian brother. Or he'll give me that bonus. She'll give me that bonus because I'm a Christian brother. Or, or sometimes we expect to slide by. It's not that we're going to get something extra. We're, we're going to get less, right? We're going to do less. Oh, we're both Christians. She won't mind if I'm late today. Oh, he won't mind if I'm taking a longer break if I'm reading my Bible, right? I mean, that's always a good excuse to be late and take an hour and a half long lunch break instead of the hour. <laughs> or sometimes we just expect favor. Oh, he'll side with me because we're both Christians. But here's what you need to understand. The Bible says that that is partiality. That's treating others in ways that you wouldn't treat somebody else. And if he's a good leader, if she's a good leader, they won't show partiality. And you shouldn't expect it. You should not expect it. You should not, if you love that person as a brother in Christ, you should not put them in a situation where they have to either give it to you or make themselves look bad or make you look bad or whatever it may be, right? Because again, he can, he can lose the respect of the non-Christians in the workplace. Uh, he, could get, he could get sued by people in the workplace. He, he could lose his job. So don't take advantage of those relationships instead. If your boss or leader is a Christian, you're to work even harder for them. Because notice what it says here in the text. Notice what it says here in the text. It says, it says, rather you must serve them all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. In other words, this boss, you get to benefit him. He's a beloved brother and you get to make him the best boss he can be. So I know these things are some simple things, but these are things that if you will employ in your life, you will not go out into the world and stink it up. Don't repel people from Christ. Draw people to Christ. If people are going to reject you, let them reject you because of Jesus, not because of your bad attitude, not because of your bad work ethic, not because of you taking advantage of relationships. If they're going to reject you, let them reject you because of Jesus. And instead of them saying, man, those Christians are worthless people who are lazy and disrespectful, let them say, this man is a Christian, this woman is a Christian. Christians must be the best workers a person could ask for. They must be excellent. Therefore, their God must be excellent. And their teaching must be excellent. That's what we're aiming for. If 
we were to have the sniff test. And again, I got teenage boys, right? And so when they bring down the laundry, uh, listen, y'all know the situation, right? You, you, you give clothes to a teenager, and oftentimes you get clean clothes back in the dirty clothes, right? Y'all ever been there before? Oh, my goodness, right? And so I'm like, no, 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 y'all come here right now. And I make them do the sniff test right there. Now pull it out. Does it smell dirty? Then it ain't dirty, right? I mean, I don't care, right? We're not going to wash it again if, if it doesn't need washing. What if your life was given the sniff test? Would people be repelled or would people be attracted? Here's my final prayer. May our lives be a sweet and attractive aroma to the lost and dying world around us. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.